So this morning we're finishing off our series on Celebration of Hope. And I want to tell you a, a little story by way of introducing our, our special speaker this morning. Uh, when I moved from Los Angeles to Kentucky in the summer, late summer of 1995, I was told by somebody in California I needed to look up a couple missionary couples because that's what I was going to study. And you needed to connect with a couple missionary couples. I was given the names. And uh, I went to, uh, finally, I went to an office, a little cubicle down in the basement of the library where one of these missionary families, the, the husband, was actually studying at Asbury Theological Seminary for his doctor of missiology. And I knocked on the door to, to meet this person. And when he opened up the door um, to meet him, my eyes first fell on a photograph of him and his daughter on, on the mantle or on the bookcase behind him. Um, from that point on, I, I, I didn't care about meeting him. I just wanted to figure out how to get invited over for dinner uh, so I could meet that daughter uh, is what I was interested in. Little did I know, though, that this man studying for, for his doctor of missiology had just got up off his knees praying for his daughter, the one in the picture's husband, because they were headed to the mission field later the next year. And, uh, and that's how the Lord brought my connection with who would later be my father-in-law and, uh, and meeting my wife. And over the years, it has been, um, it, it's been pretty amazing to be able to be close enough to him in, in the proximity to be able to witness his example of loving people and passionate about seeing people come to know the Lord. Um, it, it, it's amazing. In fact, I don't know anyone else in my life who is as passionate about that, and it bleeds out in all that they do. And so it's, uh, it's an honor this morning for me to be able to invite him to come speak with you. Now, um, I call him Dad, uh, but his full title is actually Dr. Robert Bickert. He received his Reverend Dr. Robert Bickert. Whew, any other titles? <laughs> and he received that Doctor of Missiology in 1996, that year, and just a few months later, um, uh, Shree and I actually married, and uh, then they headed out to the missions field. And that's, it's amazing, he's a graduate of Asbury Theological Seminary twice, um, and then Asbury College, which three times, goodness, um, and a graduate of Asbury College, and which is great because you did that in like 1896, I think, was the graduation year for that. And then, you know, so he stayed very consistent over the years. It's amazing. But he's been in ministry 50 years. Can you imagine 50 years he's been in ministry um, and in missions work for the last 40 years of his life? You can probably throw a dart at a map, and he's been pretty, somewhere pretty close to where your dart will land in serving in missions. And over the last two weeks, we've talked about education, we've talked about hunger, but can I let you know that the core of everything we do from a missions perspective is wanting to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Everything we do, every handout we give, every, every person we put on the ground, everything we do, we want to see people come to know the Lord. In fact, you may be sitting here right now this morning and you don't know the Lord yet. You're our mission field. We would want you to see Jesus as your personal Savior in the life that it brings. And the reason I asked Dad to speak this morning is because that's the core of his heart. And so would you welcome Reverend Dr. Robert Bickard as he comes and shares with you about the gospel. 
back into your family. And you've called us to be your ambassador, to lift you up so others could see your love and come to know you as a father, as a savior, through your son, Jesus. So we commit our time to you this morning. You would open our eyes. You'd speak to our hearts. You'd help us to see our responsibility. In Jesus' name, amen. I will never forget my first mission trip. As a sophomore in college, between my sophomore and junior year, it changed my life. As our group of men for mission laymen left the airport in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, after dark, I remember the smells and the sights that greeted us on our trip north. A strong smell of smoke and rotting garbage piled along the side of the road. The roadway dotted with little flaming kerosene lamps setting on tables that had food and other things for sale. I can still see a man kneeling there beside the curb, washing his face in the water that ran down the street. Oh, Lord. The, field, the road was filled with people walking, things carrying on their head, heavy baskets, barefooted, donkeys carrying their loads, walking along beside them. And as we weaved our way north, up and over the mountain trail, I saw the, the small shacks that people were living in. The poverty issue shocked me. I was a pre-med student, so I worked in the clinic, sharpening needles and giving shots right here. <laughs> I saw the long lines waiting to come for a shot, a pill. They had moved me with compassion on them. After I returned to the States for many months, I prayed for shoes for the Haitians. Between my junior and sophomore and junior and senior year, I took a second trip. This time I took a instrumental trio with me to Haiti. Occasionally we could hear the voodoo drums in the night. We witnessed the bondage of voodooism, mixture of African and Roman Catholic religion. Haitians lived in darkness and in fear of the witch doctor and demon possession. These exposures to the poverty and the great human need impacted me deeply. It changed my value system. I began to ask, Lord, what is really important? Lord, how can you use my talents and gifts for the greatest advantage for eternity, I looked to Jesus, my model. What did I see? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the first missionary from heaven to earth. 
God's love through Jesus, the Holy Spirit, empowering him, propelling him out into the cities and villages of Galilee, where he went teaching, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. What did Jesus actually see as he traveled from place to place? I think on our screen we should have a scripture, right? Let's read it together. And when Jesus saw the multitudes, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest, who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said to pray, to ask the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers, to raise up harvesters. Prayer is the greatest work of a missionary and missions. Dr. Dennis Kinlaw, my seminary professor, has written a book on prayer, touching the world through prayer. And he states this principle of prayer. Look at it. Just as we were born physically through your mother's travail and pain birth, birth pain, so every spiritual birth comes through the intercession of another. Everyone's salvation depends upon someone else. You're here because of a mother. I'm here because of a mother. In fact, she only had one child. Because as a breech baby birth, it was so painful but I'm so glad that she bore me. Every Wesleyan missionary is required to have a prayer partner team of 400 before they can deploy to their mission field. Our planning of the Kayanta Wesleyan Church in Manila came through the prayers of over 200 prayer partners. I'll never forget the first night, we're unpacking our barrels about 9 o'clock at night, and in the, in the room came a couple that we were told would help us start the church. I never planted a church, but they lived there. They were going to help us. So they came in, greeted us. Almost their second words were, but we don't want to plant a church here. What? <laughs> we wrote to our prayer partners. I asked them, can we just meet to pray about planting a church? No, not interested. About two months later, after the prayer partners had been praying, I had an idea. I said, could we just meet in the morning, to, on a Saturday morning, your family, our family, we'll just pray for each other's needs. Oh, sure, we can do that. So I had a little devotion 
And then I said, well, let's, uh, let's uh, give our prayer request. And I had my notebook, and I was ready to write. And, and King, our neighbor next door, who had said, I don't want to plant a church, this is what he said. Let's pray that God will give us a church here in our subdivision that will evangelize this community. What brought about the change? 200 prayer partners praying. There are ways that we can pray. Let's look at it. We've got it here on our... Is that incorporated there? Okay, ways we can pray. Number one, notice. We can participate in a 40 days of prayer for the major cities of the world from Ash Wednesday, last Wednesday, through Easter, through this organization, Waymakers. Next line there. (laughs) You can download that app for your smartphone, if you're smartphone people. Their books are all gone. No more books, but you can get the app. Then the second way, you can also subscribe to Praying Through the 1040 Window at www.win10-40.com. Now, what is the 1040 Window? We had a video. I mean, they have a video, wonderful video, right there on their page that takes you through the 1040 Window. So if you just click, click on the page, you can walk through, but we could not download it. But the 1040, do we have that on here, the map? Did that come up? Yeah, okay. So you see the 1040, 10 degrees below the equator, 40 degrees above, goes all the way across northern Africa, through the Middle East, through Asia, into the Philippines. The 1040 window, we've got the statistics here, I think, right? Okay, let's go to the next one. Notice. The 1040 windows, we've given the directions where it's found. But what is in that 1040 window area? 69 nations across this area. Nearly 4 billion people live there, including 90% of the world's poorest of the poor. It is estimated that 1.6 billion of these people have never had the chance to hear the gospel of Christ even once. The seat of every major non-Christian religion, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, animism, atheism, Sikhism, is headquarters in this 1040 window. Two-thirds of the world's population, four billion, live in these 68 nations in the 1040 window. Why is it important to pray? Well, there's a number of reasons. But remember, what did Jesus say? Number one, pray for the Lord of the harvest. God, our Father, who created us to raise up harvesters for his harvest. Is this a harvest field? So how will they harvest? What are the means of harvesting? Jesus set an example of harvesting. How? By teaching the word. 
education. By preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And by healing and casting out demons. Ministries of compassion. The Bible says, the entrance of your word gives light. Light to bring Haitians out of darkness of Buddhism. I changed my major from pre-med to ministry. I felt the Holy Spirit leading me across the street to Asbury Theological Seminary to prepare as a harvester through teaching and preaching ministry. Kay graduated from Asbury College with a degree in elementary education. In 1970, we departed for the Philippine Islands. It was a wonderful privilege. It was so exciting for us to arrive at this particular time to see the impact of the gospel upon these 7,100 islands. From the first church planted by a converted Catholic sailor, U.S. Navy, came back to his home church. Can you get this? On the U.S. Navy ship, he got off in San Diego for some, you know, just walk around. What did he walk into? A Salvation Army playing their gospel bands on the street. God spoke to his heart. The next night he went back, but they weren't there. He looked around. He found their little chapel. He went in, gave his heart to Jesus. Resigned. Well, he didn't resign. He got out of the Navy as soon as he could. Took classes for laymen in his church. A little pilgrim hole in his church. And then God called him back to his home place. I've been in that place. 1932, right there on the, on the cornerstone. Thrilling, thrilling story. To see the work grow from that point. And while we were there, to see it move. And become the largest membership and the first general conference outside of the United States in 1989. In 1972, Kay and I were at our Bible college down in Mindanao. There was a family there that were commissioned. God had called them to go back home. Back home to the root of Islam. Dan Pantangan, Dan and Dwayne Pantangan, we prayed for them and their family. Said goodbye, so we waved as they left drove out. What a marvelous story of God's prevenient grace in the life of Daniel Pantangan. As a little boy growing up on the island of Basilan, a small island in the southern part of the Philippines, he had a hunger to go to school. There's, but the only school was a Christian school by the Christian Missionary Alliance. He begged his father, can I go? I want to learn to read. Finally, his father said, you can go. So he went through grade six. The only, that's as high as it went. But his father said, there's a price. You do not accept their religion. 
That's the perimeter. You can go. <laughs> Why? Because Dan Daniel's father, Adatu, the Muslim priest, they had spiritual life of their, of their family, their community, planned for Daniel to be the next Datu. But Daniel wanted more than just six grades. He wanted to go to high school. He kept asking his dad, can I go to high school? Well, the only high school is on the island of Mindanao. That's a one-day boat trip by an outrigger canoe. He had, his father gave just enough money to get up to Cotabato City. But the high school, located in the city of Kimremba, is way down around the coast. Not enough money to get there. So Daniel, hoping for a miracle, would go out on the barge, go out on the, on, the, uh, on the dock where barges were loading and unloading every day. No money going down around the coast. But one day, a man walked up to him and said, where do you want to go, son? I want to go to Kiamba. Well, I'm from Kiamba. <laughs> he said, if you'll help me load my things, my, what I've purchased for my store on the barge, you, I'll take you with me. Because he saw a New Testament stuck down in Dan's pocket. <laughs> when they arrived late at night, Mr. Pasqua took Dan to his home. Dan knocked on the door. And a young lady opened the door. Come on in. Well, that young lady became his wife. And also, living with Brother Pasqua was our missionary, Flora Bell Slater. She had been sent there to open the first Bible school for our church developing in Mindanao. She led Daniel to Christ. And then she said, Daniel, forget about high school. Just come to Bible school. So Daniel came to Bible school, along with his, that young lady. And... 1972, they went to the island of the islands of Indonesia, the most populous Muslim nation, number one, Indonesia, to plant the gospel in the Wesleyan Church. Today, it's a church throughout the islands with two Bible colleges. Yes, the power of the gospel and the prevenient grace of God. Daniel said, I never had any interest in my father's religion and his prayers. Why? God had a plan in Daniel's life. The power of the gospel transformed not only his life, but today thousands in Indonesia. Through the planting of the Kayanta Wesleyan Church in 1975, we had the privilege to nurture Linda, a new Roman Catholic convert, in pre-med. And later, she married another pre-med student, Romy Karingal. They were the first medical missionaries the Filipino Wesleyan Church sent to the hospital in Zambia, Africa in 1989 at the forming of their general conference. I well remember the early one Sunday morning, I heard a... 
on our gate of the church. Carport gate, church is back inside. I opened it, and there stood a young lady and a, and a young man. Is this a Protestant church? Yes. What time is service? I told her, 9.30. She said, well, I have just found Jesus through Campus Crusade down at the University of the East, and they told me during the Christmas break to find a good evangelical church to attend. So she came back, church time, with Rolando. Now, I didn't know about Rolando, but uh, she so enjoyed the service, interacted with our young people. She loved the love expressed with our congregation towards her as a new visitor and the word of God that was given. The afternoon, she knocked again on the gate. She said, well, I'm not going to be able to come back. And this is why. She said, when I went home, my parents discovered that I had attended that cult that was meeting up on the main street going out to the highway. And they forbid me to come back. So she said, I went to our ring, the youth leader, right after she got that forbidding to come back. She had identified with our ring during the, after the service. And she shared her story with our ring. And so they said, saying, let's pray. God has a solution. So they prayed, and this is the solution. This is the proposition. Linda went back. This is what she said to her parents. She said, if, will you let Rolando go to the service? Why Rolando? Because he was the black sheep of the family. He hardly ever went to the Roman Catholic Church, and he, hardly, he wasn't even going to school. So if, will you let him go? And if you can see a change in his life, then will you allow me to go? Why, sure. They had no confidence there'd ever be a change in Rolando. See, they were devout Roman Catholics. Well, during the Christmas break, we have our youth convention. Christmas is over about uh, 3 o'clock in the morning on Christmas Day. You go to midnight mass, come home, celebrate Christmas, and then the young people leave the next day to go to the youth convention. And Rolando wanted to go along, so he went. Accepted Christ. His life was transformed. The power of the gospel. Now Linda could come. And she became one of our Sunday school teachers, a leader among our youth. And she began to feel God calling her to be a missionary. And she married one of her co-students, co-classmate, co, uh, co Romy. And they were sent to Zambia, to our hospital. Today, Romy is our area director over Southeast Asia. And Linda is working with World Hope International in their anti-trafficking ministry in the Philippines. She also teaches at our Asia-Pacific Nazarene Theological Temple seminary where I've taught repeatedly. The power of the gospel. And you know what? Mom and dad, mom and dad, Linda's mom and dad, Kalapan, became one of their most ardent prayer supporters and backers. Changed lives. 
She had won them to Jesus. Now, Wesleyans have also established ministry among four pagan groups in our country. We have, when I arrived in 19, 1996, I went to a dawn conference in 1997, and there they reported there were 48 unreached people groups in the Philippines. Unreached means less than 2% or less Christian. Zero to two percent. Anything beyond that is considered unreached. Well, we reached out to the Balaans in Mindanao. We reached out to the Mungians in the island of Mindoro. Reached out to the Negritos and to the Igorot tribes. There's five major Igorot tribes. The power of prayer. Here's the power of prayer, praying through the 1040 window. We're in that 1040 window. In 19, beginning in the mid-90s, prayer through the 1040 window when I was in seminary was beginning in the early 90s. We prayed for a month through that window. Millions of people are praying around the world through this window. I could share many statistics, but this is what I saw happening in the Philippines. Um, let's see here. Let, I think we've got another slide to look at. Let's keep going. Keep going. I don't know where we're going to come up with this. <laughs> Should be one more there. Yeah, I keep going. <laughs> I don't know. What? No, it's not showing up down here. That's the problem. I'm sorry. Well, you've already run down. Can we back it up? Is there a way to back it up? Because I want to talk about right there. Stop right there. In 1997, I was asked by one of our one of our pastors who had been DS up in this northern, northern area of Luzon. He said, we have a, a group of Negritos. These are the original Filipinos, the original ones to come to the island up from Papua New Guinea. Short, black, kinky hair, very dark skin. There are pockets of these people all over the Philippines going by different names. But, so, he said, we, we want to start work among these people. And just over here on this far, the far right, right, right over here. That man, Brother Gunabon, we taught his daughter in, in Bible college. And she would tell us, she said, my grandfather has a head axe with five notches. A notch for every head. That's Brother Gunabon's father right there. And one of our students, Brother Delphin now pastoring in that area. So we went back. Oh, it's a marvelous trip. Don't have time to tell you all that story. But we opened the work among the Negritos. Joanne Lyon with World Hope International had a tremendous impact. She played with all of these tribal groups in establishing schools through sponsorship of children. World Hope Hope for Children Sponsorship, $40 now a month. That pays for their education, their medical, their clothing, and nutritional needs. So to go to school, number one. Books, 
uniform, everything in school. So we were able to start schools. Many of these areas, illiteracy, there are no schools. People live in the mountains. They move from place to place. Well, this is true of the Negritos. Slash and burn, move from place to place. And they live far back in the forest. What do they live on? Roots, berries, whatever they can get. Sometimes one meal a day, if they're lucky. Many times no meals a day. When we arrived on this trip, I sat across in the little, little uh, place we were having service from a lady holding a baby. I was told this was the first child that lived. They had buried nine children before this one because the mother has no milk. Well, now because of the sponsorship and children going to school, World Hope International has helped us establish about 200 out of a group of about, 12, about 2,500 that live in that area, a center where they've moved in, homes have been built for them. Now they know how to plant gardens, how to raise sheep, how to raise goats, how to raise pigs, how to raise chickens, how to raise bananas, and their mothers have plenty of food and plenty of milk, and now there are plenty of children. Previously, they spent their money, whatever they could get, out selling monkeys and pigs and flowers and rattan in town to buy beer, alcohol. Now the, people, now the merchants say, what's happened to these people? They're well-dressed, their hair's combed and clean, and they buy what? Rice, number one. Coffee, number two. And sugar for their coffee, number three. <laughs> Transform. By the power of the gospel, I've been up there. It's a marvelous story. I got a PowerPoint. I can show you the whole thing. It's a marvelous story because of the power of the gospel. It's no wonder that Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God to transform. Well, I think we're running out of time. But we'll... <laughs> We'll look at one DVD, and then we'll close. I've got more to go. But what's the background on this, on this presentation? Right from the Congo. <laughs> it used to be called Belgium Congo, right? <laughs> when, the, when Willis and Thelma Braun were missionaries there back in the 50s. And they noticed the condition of the churches that had been planted. Uh, let's, let's keep going here. And we want to see this one slide. Keep going. Well, let's see. No. Um, I'll just tell you the story. We're, we're kind of out of sync. So, he noticed that out of 60,000 60, uh, villages in the Congo at that time, 40,000 Churches, when they arrived, 1960. By 1980, there were only 14,000 churches. What was happening? Pastors were leaving. God gave him a vision of a portable, of a, establishing a, school, a, a Bible school training system called Portable Bible Schools. 200 lessons. This is a, a many Bible school curriculum. 200 lessons. And he began training people to have these lessons taught. And so by, by the year 2000, they now have back up to 
40,000 churches, they have doubled their output. So that vision took him to India to share this same story of training. They started in India in 1991. The same story of training laymen to plant churches and pastor churches. So we want to see, let's see, did we get this up? Uh, It's not coming through down here. This is what we want to see as we wrap up right here. 19, 19, year 2000, they began way up here, 60, they had 20,000 churches out of 40,000 villages. Now there are 40,000 churches out of 80,000. That's 50% increase. They had decreased down to 27%. That's very good success, isn't it? Sharing the word, preaching the gospel in these villages. So that's what took him to India. We've just opened now in the Philippines, and we're working with that project of opening up in the Philippines. But as a result of going into India, amazing things are happening. So let's see the DVD, and then we're going to close. It's eight minutes, so just hold your seat. The food will not get any colder. It's already cold.
Let's pray. Father, we remember Jesus said to pray. We'd send out, you would send out harvesters into the field. We thank you for the bronze you sent to be harvesters in Africa, now in India, now in the Philippines, in 19 countries where they're raising up harvesters for the harvest. We praise you for the power of the gospel to transform lives. Father, I ask that you would search our hearts. Can we ask ourselves this morning, am I willing to be a harvester like Yeshuan? Today, over the 11,000 who have been trained through the, this Tent Makers Manual weekend week training, over 7,000 have said, yes, I will be a harvester, even though it means my death. Lord, help us. How many of us will say, yes, Lord? Use me as Isaiah prayed. Send me, send me as a harvester into the ripe harvest field today. Lord, help us to be faithful in prayer, to pray that you will send out labors. We can all pray for Guatemala. We can all pray through the 1040 window. Lord, help us to be faithful so that when we stand before you at the final judgment, we will hear your good, well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful to what I've asked you to do. Enter into the joys of our Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you just thank uh, Reverend Dr. Dad for sharing with us today? So I'm, I'm just interested to know, um, for you that are here, um, you know, where will you go this week with it? Where will you go and share the gospel? It might be across the cubicle, across your street. Maybe it's somebody who you live with in your house. Uh, but it's a great opportunity to share. And there might even be some of you that the Lord is pushing and prodding you to step out on the mission field. Um, for those that are going on the short-term trip with Guatemala. But there may be something even further for you. And I would ask you to just commit that to prayer now because the Lord can already open up doors for that to happen in your life. And we want to be part of it as your church family as well. Well, now's the time where we're going to take our compassion offering. We've been talking about it a few weeks. And basically, uh, over this period of time where we had a week of solidarity and ate rice and beans for a week and saved back some grocery money or whatever else the Lord has put on your heart, this is time for us to step out in, in compassion to give, to sacrificially give to what the Lord is doing in Guatemala in the area that, uh, that we're headed to uh, later this year. So I want to encourage you to do that. Now, if you follow our giving numbers, you'll know it. we also need to continue our weekly tithes and offering. And God has already spoken to us about this in his word, telling us be faithful and disciplined in your weekly giving. You follow the numbers, and we're probably about 5,900 away from meeting this month's budget. So we ask that you give out of obedience to your tithes and offering this week. But the Lord, I know, spoke to you already at about an amount to give above and beyond that as a compassion offering 
to Caroline's promise and to the work in Guatemala. And so I ask, really dig deep in your heart and what God wants you to do in your offering. Here's the way you can do it. Just take the little offering that envelope that's on one of the chairs, either next to you or the one you're sitting on, and you'll notice different categories. At the top where it just says church expenses, that's our weekly tithes and offering. That's our discipline giving, our 10% that we're called to do through God's word. But right down below it, you'll see it says for missions. And that for missions there, that is our compassion offering this morning. That will go 100% towards the work in Guatemala. And so whatever you put in, just mark that on mission. So you can use those two lines, put the whole amount in the envelope, use those two lines to distinguish what it is you're giving this morning. So have I stalled enough time for you to get your checkbooks ready and all that rolling? All right, good, good, very good. So we're going to ask our ushers to come forward and to receive that morning offering. And then we're going to go out singing one more. We're going to ramp it up and and enjoy the Lord in this last song. Enjoy our, our guest up here leading us as well. And then a Immediately when we're done with that song, uh, Leslie's going to pray for us and for the meal, and then you can go ahead and get in line and, and uh, enjoy the meal over there. And you can move the chairs kind of however you want uh, to sit however you'd like in the end, and we will have racks out, so when you're headed out and it's time to go home for the afternoon, just take your chair and throw it on one of those racks, and that'll help us in the teardown. So, all right. Well... Our ushers are going to come. We're going to receive uh, our morning offering and our compassion offering at the same time. And why don't you stand with us and we'll go out singing one more.